the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. In the past few weeks, two national publications have written stories about our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and the idea that she might someday be a candidate for president. Of course, the governor was just reelected and insists she has no plans to leave before the end of her final term. But what is it about her and her leadership that has national chins wagging about her prospects? We'll find out next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. I pay pretty close attention to the news. It's my job to know what's going on locally here in Detroit and Michigan and, of course, nationally. But I have to say, it's kind of rare that something about Michigan surprises me in the way that it shows up in the national press. But in the last few weeks, I've had two such surprises. Most recently, there was a story in The Atlantic, and it was titled, Why Not Whitmer? And in it, a staff writer at the magazine writes compellingly about our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and the chances that she might take a shot at the presidency someday. And just a week before that, just a few weeks before that, there was another headline, this one from Vanity Fair, and it was titled, The Spartan. Why Gretchen Whitmer has what it takes for a White House run. Now, we're just getting started with the 2024 presidential race. And on the Democratic side, it's so far been pretty boring. That's because we have a sitting Democratic president, Joe Biden. And he's done a good enough job, I think, for most Democrats to think, hey, he should be the nominee in 2024. Even with his age and the concerns about how old he would be when he is reelected, if he is reelected, and how old he would be when he was finished serving, there hasn't been anyone who's really stepped up to say they'll challenge the president. But there is one name that seems to be coming up again and again in the presidential nomination conversation. Around the country, the press seem to love Governor Gretchen Whitmer. They say she's tough, she gets things done, and it's important that she represents Michigan, a state that sometimes is pretty blue, sometimes goes red. It's kind of a deep purple. Now, importantly, the governor says she's not running for president. She says it at every opportunity. And the last time I spoke with her was on Mackinac Island during the Mackinac Policy Conference just a few weeks ago. Here she is answering my question about her national aspirations. 
The fact is I am absolutely 100% focused on Michigan. I've got three and a half years to continue this work, and um, there's a lot, a lot to do. Yeah. She also said right before that that she wished people would stop asking her about running for president, that she's busy. She's got a lot on her mind and a lot on her agenda for the next four years, and that's what she's focused on. So why do people believe Whitmer still might be thinking about running for president, either now or in the future? Why do people think she would make a good president? What about her track record so far is making her so attractive for all of this attention? And let's talk about that name recognition nationally. Where's it all coming from? And what does it mean for us here in the state of Michigan? That's where we want to begin the conversation today. And of course, we want to hear from you, the listeners. What do you think about the idea of Governor Whitmer as a national candidate? You think that's a good idea for the Democrats? Is it a good idea for the country? Is it a good idea for us here in Michigan? Would it be a good thing for this state if one of our elected representatives statewide somehow was able to land in the White House. Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. And we want to start the conversation today with the author of one of the articles about Governor Whitmer. Mark Leibovich is a staff writer at The Atlantic and recently wrote the article titled uh, Why Whitmer Might Run, Why Gretchen Whitmer uh, Might Be the Right Person for the White House Run. Uh, Mike Leibovich, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, good to be with you. Yeah. So uh, let's start here. Um, Whitmer has said no to you as well. She said no to me. Is there any reason to believe that Governor Whitmer is thinking about, really thinking about, running for president in 2024 or at some other time? What is it that that makes you feel like uh, this is a relevant question for her right now? Well, well, first of all, I mean, you know, the whole I mean, this is a not unfamiliar dance with with politicians who are kind of gaining national traction even though they're they're known mostly statewide i mean the dance being you know some reporter whether they're local or national asks them uh, hey might you run for president which you know by definition is an extremely flattering question i mean it's not something you ask kind of a, a marginal kind of backbencher politician and they demure they say oh no i'm focused on my day job but you know there's really not a lot of downside to indulging the question and even subtly um, uh, encouraging it, even while denying it. I mean, I think the idea there is, I mean, she's been asked about this a million times. Um, you know, you can't stop people from asking, but, you know, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, I mean, we're both national publications. We came along, they knew full well, she knew full well that, that this question was going to come up. And, you know, they did it anyway. And, and, you know, frankly, I spent a good portion of my 
30 or so minutes with her um, asking variations on this question. And, you know, refreshingly, she kind of enjoyed it. I mean, she said no. I mean, she didn't change her answer. She didn't open any daylight. But I, I do think that, look, I mean, she is term limited. I mean, this is her last term. I mean, Michigan law forbids her from running again. Um, you know, among her many assets, I mean, one, I mean, she was just reelected overwhelmingly by double digits last year. Um, you know, Michigan has had a good couple of cycles for a state that is extremely, uh, as you said, you know, very kind of swingy purple. And um, I think even if she doesn't run now, and I don't think she will, I mean, unless something changes, especially with, with President Biden or his health or something like that, she'll, she'll, I think, almost certainly look at it after she's done being governor of Michigan, uh, which I guess would be 2028. So well, what, the, the next election election would be twenty 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 eight if she doesn't, of yeah. course, run this time. And right. and of course, there's lots of speculation that I've been hearing that Joe Biden ultimately will not be the the nominee next year. That that he will step aside, maybe for health reasons, maybe uh, for other reasons, and that there may be a wide sure. open uh, primary. Of course, we've got to wait to to determine whether that's so. Uh, but but talk a little about what it is about Whitmer that attracts you to that question. What is it that she's doing or saying that makes her right. seem like a national candidate? Yeah, I mean, I would say this. I mean, before getting into Whitner, Whit Whitmer per se, I mean, I, I think what is unusual about this situation um, is that Joe Biden is not only you know, extremely old, but, um, you know, poll numbers, even among Democrats, are pretty compelling in saying that, that a pretty high majority of, of voters, you know, across the board, certainly independents, don't want him to run again. Um, this didn't happen in 2020 with Donald Trump. It didn't happen in 2012 with Barack Obama. It's fairly unprecedented. So there's clearly an appetite among Democrats for an alternative to Biden, even if he runs again. And the fact that Robert Kennedy Jr., who, you know, he was frankly a crank um can can attract up to 20 percent of of votes in some polls or you know the support in some poll tells me that there's a definite appetite for an alternative whitmer is extremely attractive as a candidate i mean she she has a very recent positive track record electorally in a swing state um she's a very compelling campaigner i never met her or interviewed her before but i found her very winning uh she's also very original i mean it, it's an interesting i mean she's a very interesting figure she's hyper local and yet she's hyper local in a way that's very likable and that could conceivably track nationally and and i didn't you know i didn't make this comparison in my piece but i'll make it now because what the heck i, I remember there was a couple of days in 2008 when sarah palin was first um announced right and sarah palin like absolutely invigorated that race for mm -hmm. at least a few days mm -hmm. until it was clear that sarah palin was not ready for prime time and i hate to compare the two because it's it's very it's unfair because frank you know sarah palin turned out to be you know again not not terribly you know qualified and whitmer is obviously very qualified and her track record speaks to that but but clearly there is a great appetite for someone new and democrats frankly have not elected a new national leader since 2008 i mean barack obama was a surprise he was fresh blood and you know he had to jump the line too because it was hillary's turn i mean gretchen whitmer i think would add a very very um, particular kind of energy into the democratic party and field that i think there's a great appetite for right now that would also appeal to independents and swing voters who are who are turned off by the trump alternative and and the trump kind of character of the republican party these days so 
If she were to jump into a race like this, talk about some of the other people who might also be interested. Let's say Joe Biden does step aside at some point. Who are some of the people who would be competing? I'm I'm thinking of uh, New Jersey Senator Cory Booker, who has run before Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. But but, but who would be the who would be the real competition for her? Yeah, I mean, first of all, if if Biden announced today that he wasn't running again, I, I think you would see many many people jump in immediately. And I and I wouldn't I it wouldn't surprise me if if Whitmer um, gathered her 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 advisors together and figured out a way to to finesse her. Uh, I will serve the rest of my term no matter what answer because well things have changed. I mean that's what happens. But no, I mean you I mean the people you mentioned Klobuchar, you know people like um, her Cory Booker, people who have run before. Um, you know, keep coming up. But also there's a lot of fairly, um, you know, attractive and very compelling young governors in the Democratic field. And Governor Whitmer is one of them. Governor Newsom, Gavin Newsom of California, is someone that comes up a lot. Westmore of Maryland um, comes up. Uh, Josh Shapiro of Pennsylvania. I mean, there's a, there's a number of people. So I think Democrats have a fairly deep bench or deeper than people give the party credit for. And it's just the, the fact that, you know, uh, These the sort of same rehash figures, whether it be Hillary or Biden or even, you know, when Obama was running for re-election, I mean, no one's going to run against them. So there's obviously a, a pretty fertile field out there waiting to sort of, you know, sort of run for the next or waiting to grow to the next level. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We are going to continue talking with Mark Leibovich, staff writer at The Atlantic, who recently wrote a piece about Governor Whitmer, maybe thinking about national office. Want to get going with you, the listeners, as well on the phones and on social. Give us a call. Let us know what you think about the prospect that Governor Gretchen Whitmer might be a presidential candidate someday. Two recent articles in national publications, the one we're talking with the author of in The Atlantic, as well as one in Vanity Fair, both speculating about her prospects, talking about the record she's amassed in the year she's been governor. What do you think of that record? Does it make her a likely presidential candidate. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Our guest right now is Mark Leibovich. He is a staff writer for The Atlantic and recently wrote a piece titled Why Not Whitmer? It takes a look at Governor Gretchen Whitmer and what her national prospects might be, either next year, 2024, when we'll have a presidential election or sometime in the future. It is one of two pieces that I've noticed 
recently, just in the last few weeks, that asked the same question. There was a Vanity Fair piece a few weeks back that took a look at Governor Whitmer. What do you think is one of the questions as well? Our listeners, give us a call. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. Let us know what you think of the governor's prospects. Also, what you think of the job the governor has done. She's gotten a lot done, especially in the last six months now that she's got majority in both the uh, Michigan House and the Michigan Senate. First time in all the most 40 years that Democrats have that kind of power. She has put it to really effective use. Do you think that makes her uh, a likely candidate on the national level? Or do you think that some of the other things she's done? Remember her big promises to fix the damn roads. Uh, roads are absolutely under construction here in the state of Michigan. But uh, do you think she delivered? On that promise, did she deliver sufficiently to catapult her to uh, the kind of national consideration that would have her enter a presidential contest? 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we can include you in the conversation. Uh, Mark, I want to talk a little about Michigan and its positioning in a national uh, context and whether that gives a boost to Governor Whitmer as a potential candidate. This is a state that voted for Donald Trump in 2016, voted for Barack Obama twice before that, and then voted for Joe Biden in uh, in 2020. What does the what does the national I guess take on Michigan say about someone from here uh, making a run at national office? Well, obviously, it helps. Um, Michigan is, you know, it, despite the recent, you know, the recent successes the Democrats have had, it's going to be a key state. I mean, one of probably six or seven that probably going to decide the next election. So, it obviously is an advantage for for Governor Whitmer to be from Michigan rather than, say, uh, Vermont or California or something that will, we you know, will almost certainly go blue. So, I mean, it certainly helps. And what about the things she's done here in Michigan? The, the agenda that she and the legislature have had since they've had this majority has been really aggressive, fast-paced. Does that sure. play well on a national level? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, she's she certainly had a productive, you know, six months or so, and you can get a lot more done when you control when your party controls both branches of the legislature and the executive branch than you can when you you have all kinds of resistance from the other party, as she you know sort of learned firsthand in, in her first term. But um, what, what's interesting about you know her accomplishment? I mean, first of all, the, the things that she's known for, um, you know, certainly the, the kidnapping thing around 2020 mm-hmm. was extremely unfortunate um you know it, it was it was scary um but it also for better or for worse i mean certainly not something anyone wants to go through but it, it certainly made her well known but also just you know she's been a real spokesperson on abortion um she's actually you know taken some pretty proactive steps on on gun safety um and, and also look i mean fix the damn roads i mean you mentioned that earlier um and I just, having been out there recently, I mean, you see there is construction all over the place, which is kind of a hassle, but it's also, you know, it's not that hard to spin that into progress. And it is progress. I think not only is fix the damn roads a hyper-local issue, which affects everyone in Michigan, 
um, you know, the vast majority of the country um, wants good roads. I mean, infrastructure as an abstract is a very, very important thing and a very popular thing for most people. So it's certainly an issue that has helped her in Michigan and that is popular in Michigan, but it's also one that can scale nationally. Yeah, yeah. Um, in in the piece, uh, you talk about uh, her pivoting from specific issues to the broader theme of personal freedom, particularly relating uh, to uh, abortion access and th- this kind of, um, you know, th- I feel like when when local politicians or statewide politicians want to jump to the national level, there is this kind of, um, uh, I-, I guess, uh, vocabulary. I guess they have to develop mm-hmm. about about the difference between governing a state and governing a nation. It, it seems like you feel like she's developing that uh, or, or maybe has already right. developed that in, in Lansing. No, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I think one thing you have seen with ambitious national politicians, whether it's Ron DeSantis on the Republican side, Gavin Newsom on the Democratic side, even, you know, with Barack Obama, I mean, Pete Buttigieg when he ran the last time, is an, is an idea, is a skill for sort of pivoting from, as you said, you know, a singular issue to a larger freedom agenda. And um, you know, I think around abortion and guns in particular, I mean, I think the messaging from, from Democrats has been, you know, less than perfect. And then she's trying to sort of change that, you know, Republicans have sort of owned freedom for better or worse as, as an issue. There's like, you know, oh, we're going to have freedom to bear arms. And, you know, Governor Whitmer has said, no, we're going to have freedom to actually send your kids to school without worrying about someone coming in with an AR-15 and shooting up the place or, you know, reproductive freedom. I mean, you know, maybe leading with the freedom rather than the more abstract, you know, vocabulary around reproductive rights. So, I mean, she's been very deft at that, and it's pretty clear watching her speak publicly and certainly speaking to her um, one-on-one that that's what, what she has become very adept at doing. Yeah. I want to talk just a little bit about the pandemic and the reaction that she had to the pandemic mm-hmm. and then the reaction that lots of people in the state had to her reaction. Uh, there was a there was a thought for a while that that could have cost her uh, a, a reelection bid, that, that people were sufficiently upset with the extent of lockdowns here, the length of the lockdowns. We had schools uh, closed for, for, for a time. Um, how does something like that play in a national context, it didn't end up being decisive in the 2022 election. But would it would it be something she'd have to answer for in 2024? I, I think obviously she would if she were running in a Republican primary. But I think, you know, as you said, it certainly didn't hurt her in 2022. And it didn't hurt her really if you sort of look statewide at the polls. I mean, I think speaking generally around the pandemic i think every chief executive probably of both parties would like to have a bunch of decisions back um you know maybe you didn't go far enough maybe it went too far uh i think governor whitmer clearly you know underwent some criticism for for maybe you know pushing limits so far but but you have to remember i mean that was that was a really scary time we weren't dealing with a lot of information we you know vaccines weren't you know, hadn't been invented yet. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot going on. And, and you know, I think one thing we've seen from 2022 is that the the memories and sort of like the, um, the sort of the fallout from those decisions didn't really have traction going beyond, you know, the, the end of the real crisis period in the pandemic. Yeah. 
Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to social media, to Twitter, hashtag us, and we can include you in the conversation. Let's start today with Dan in Detroit. Dan, what's on your mind? Good morning. Hey. Um, I just want to say that while I'm excited about the thought of maybe a Michigan governor getting this kind of run, I'm an avid Democrat. Anything but Trump, period. But I'm uh, concerned of three major things with the governor. One is her lack of actual supervision and consequence to the unemployment fraud that happened during COVID payouts. Mm -hmm. Next, the auto insurance premium refunds just before the election. And now we're facing an auto insurance uh, deficit. And lastly, where's that transparency that she talked about that has been lacking in Lansing? Yeah, I think three points of vulnerability are huge and would be amplified if a national magnifying glass got turned on our governor. Hmm. So, so Dan, when you think about her and those issues, and then think of other possible candidates, you know, people who've been in the Senate or governors uh, from from other places, do you think she has? more weaknesses than than they do or i mean everybody's got issues that uh, that voters could take take issue with i i can't say that she has more i just know because i live here that those three are pretty significant now whether the national uh press would be able to distinguish that as being more than any other person yeah uh i don't have that take yeah uh, Dan, I really appreciate the call and uh, the insights. Uh, Mark Levovich, these are, of course, very local issues that uh, that the governors had to answer for in, in one form or another. Would they play at the at the national level, and would she face challenges about any of them? Yeah, probably. I mean, the thing, you know, when you go national, local issues become bigger than they were the day before, you know, the the, the, the day before you ran for president. <laughs> I mean, I think the larger issue, though, is it's not so much. I mean, I, I think almost any Democrat would vote for someone other than Donald Trump. And that's probably true of the majority of independents, which mm-hmm. is what makes Republicans, if they nominate Trump again, so vulnerable. I mean, the question is, you know, why is Biden so vulnerable, even quietly among Democrats? I mean, I guarantee you, if, if Gretchen Whitmer got into the race tomorrow and she got on a plane and went to South Carolina, Nevada, you know, I guess Michigan's one of the early states now, so that, that's mm-hmm. an advantage for her. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, where, if she starts running, I guarantee you, one, she will get a ton of national press. She will get a lot of blowback from the White House, from, you know, the Democratic National Committee. You know, Biden got a lot of loyalists. But after that initial sort of blowback, which really is, is kind of a contained kind of Washington wise guy, conventional wisdom kind of thing, I mean, she would energize a lot of people. I guarantee you, you know, there'd be a mass press um, attention around her. She'd probably get really big crowds. And from what I saw, she's a very good campaigner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this wouldn't be RFK Jr. I mean, again, RFK Jr. is not going to win the Democratic nomination. He's not going to be, you know, the next President Kennedy. It, it is, you know, it, it, I would love to see someone, and I've called for this before, you know, and I think a lot of people have called for this before, a serious candidate, and Gretchen Whitmer certainly is that, mm-hmm. um, to sort of see how they would do, to sort of like give some flesh and bones to what an alternative to Joe Biden would look like among a party, among people in a party that, that clearly want one. Yeah. 
So I want to talk just briefly about the other side of the political spectrum here and the Republican primary, which is also shaping up. Uh, how does Whitmer's candidacy, I guess, fit into that into that context as well? You've got Ron DeSantis uh, making a, a, a real effort. You've got Donald Trump, of course, out front still. There, there's going to be other other candidates as well. Tim Scott from South Carolina said that that he's running. Uh, give us a sense of how you assess that side of uh, the field, and then how Whitmer might fare against any of them if she were to run and win the nomination. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting calculus. I mean, I think I think look, I think DeSantis has had a terrible start to his campaign. I think Trump certainly sitting here now is, is the overwhelming favorite to be nominated for the third consecutive time by the Republican Party, despite many, many misgivings and and many, many indications that he's not going to be the strongest candidate you know, against President Biden or whoever the Republicans or whoever the Democrats put up. I, I will say this, though, I, I think that, that Trump is so scary to so many people, particularly among you know, certainly Democrats and many independents, that it has made Democrats very risk averse. Um, you know, there were riskier picks in 2020 who excited audiences a lot more than Joe Biden did, but Joe Biden was seen as a safe choice in 2020. And he kind of built himself as like a bridge candidate. He said, okay, I'm going to turn things over to the next generation of leaders, whether it's, you know, Gretchen Whitmer, who was actually behind him when he was like making that statement um, in Michigan, I think he said. And, and, you know, I think people kind of assumed that it was one and done for Biden and he was, going to beat Trump because he felt best qualified to do that. He proved correct there, you know, sort of right the ship a little bit and then sort of turn things over to the future on the assumption that Trump would be going away. Um, You know, here we have Trump again. And I think, you know, Biden decides that he wants to do this again at the age of 82, which is what he'd be, you know, when he on the next election day. Mm -hmm. And and again, you know, we're going to postpone the future for another for another term, because that's sort of what the conventional wisdom calls for. I, I think it would be a real breath of fresh air to go in another direction. And when we talk about that Republican side of things, what what will those decisions for voters turn on next year? Will they turn on the question of of Donald Trump and his record and his popularity? I mean, he has dominated uh, Republican politics now for almost eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, or are some of these other folks more more interesting? Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, there's a there's a lot of newcomers and an interesting entrance on that side. Yeah. No. I mean, look. I mean, it's on the Republican side. It's first of all, it's just simple math. I mean, you have like eight, nine, ten people running, um, and forty or so percent of them are are just like deeply committed to Donald Trump, no matter what. You know, you're going to get that forty percent for Trump, and then the rest are going to split the rest. So. Um, you know, the math works very much in his favor. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't see him terribly concerned about Tim Scott and, you know, Nikki Haley jumping into the race or Chris Christie or whoever. Um, you know, he welcomes this. So, um, but no, I, th- I think the problem for Republicans, if Trump is the nominee again, is that a lot of voters will actually turn, make their decisions negatively mm-hmm. about who to vote for based on Donald Trump. And even if Joe Biden isn't that popular, which he hasn't been, if you look at polls and approval ratings and so forth, 
you know, the people who don't like him and who don't approve of him probably could stomach him more easily than they could Donald Trump, who I think is seen as a catastrophic result among people who don't even like Joe Biden, which, you know, would either keep them home or, you know, have more people holding their nose to support Biden than they would Trump. And frankly, you know, it's not the most inspiring way to look at an election, but it, it sort of it is the pragmatic way. And I think it's something that a lot of, you know, people around Biden are banking on. Yeah. Okay, Mark Levovich, uh, staff writer at The Atlantic, was really great to have you here to talk about our governor, Gretchen Whitmer. I assume you'll probably be back to see us again sometime soon. For uh, I, I always cycle. think for an excuse to come to Michigan. Yeah. I, I, I went to school there. I have great fun. Oh, excellent, before, excellent. So. <laughs> Thanks for All being here. Great. Thanks for having me. When we come back, we are going to stay here in Michigan, but we're going to talk with someone who has a different take on why people don't stay in the state. If you'll remember the Mackinac Policy Conference, Governor Gretchen Whitmer was really focused on the idea of keeping more people here, attracting more people here. We're going to talk with someone who says there's one thing that we're doing wrong that's really a disincentive to staying here in Michigan. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. For news that impacts your community. Music that moves your soul. And conversations that matter. W. D. E. T. Detroit's NPR station. glad you've decided to join us. Michigan's population has been stagnating and it's been bothering a lot of us. A stagnant population hurts our economy, it prevents growth, and stifles both public and private innovation. To counter that trend, Governor Whitmer recently created the Growing Michigan Together Council, which now has a committee that is almost fully staffed. And that council is eagerly trying to understand what exactly would keep more people here in the state and attract more people. How can we grow the way states in the Southwest and in parts of the South, for instance, have managed to figure out? Is it better jobs? Is it denser cities that have lots of entertainment and a great nightlife? What is it? What is the lever we pull to make people more excited about living here or about coming here? There are some people that say there's one issue in particular that is pushing people away from Michigan and telling them if they don't live here that Maybe this isn't some place they should consider. It's public transit. And that's something, of course, we talk about a lot here on Detroit Today. The struggles that we have had for more than four decades trying to build a system that gets people where they need to go efficiently and effectively uh, and building the common interest in something like that. 
making sure that people who live in different parts of Southeast Michigan all buy in to the idea that we need transit, not just for ourselves and whether we use it or not, but for the growth of our region. Megan Owens is the executive director of Transportation Riders United. It's a public transit advocacy organization right here in the Detroit area. She has an article that will soon be published in Cranes about how a solid regional public transit system would help boost our economy, keep young people here, and help grow the state population. Megan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, good to have good to be on. Yes, it's great to have you back here. Uh, we, you and I have talked a, a lot in the past about public transit, why it's important, and how we break through the barriers that that have prevented us from having good public transit for such a long time. But I want to start the conversation here today. Why do you think regional public transit is the most critical thing to increasing Michigan's population? I'm not sure. Lots of people would settle on that issue uh, as as being the, 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 the thing. Tell me why you do. Well, honestly, it's looking back at it's not just transit advocates like me uh, and those of us at Transportation Riders United who have been pointing out how essential transit is, uh, especially for retaining and attracting young people. But it's been echoed by dozens of news media and policy experts and demographers and business leaders and of course young people themselves uh, just looking back through some past news articles uh, and uh, over the last 20 years back in 2009 uh, young professionals were asked what would make them stay here and the biggest trends were uh, mass transit greenways and regional government in 2014 the rockefeller foundation did a survey that found that uh, 66% of millennials said access to quali- high quality public transportation is one of their top three criteria mm. in deciding where they would live. Uh, the National Association of Realtors, the National Transportation Research Board uh, found a, a piece that you did back in 2015 <laughs> spotlighting just how essential this is. So it's not some novel concept. It's that We've known for decades that uh, people in general across the Detroit region need affordable, reliable access that doesn't solely uh, rely on cars to get everywhere they need to go. But a lot of younger people are not willing, either can't afford the cost of cars and insurance on top of student loans and uh, lower wage jobs. They can't afford to get to, to live in and work in a place that a car is a requirement and they don't want to have their lives defined around cars. So I, I really hope uh, that that Growing Michigan Together Council mm-hmm. uh, can look back at at all of these this research uh, and surveys and polls that have shown for 20 years that transit is one of the critical components. I'm not saying it's the silver bullet that will magically flip Michigan overnight, but it's one of the most critical components that has been our region has been failing at for decades, and we don't have to. So, so I, I want to spend a little more time talking about the way in which transit affects 
other things. In other words, it's not just about being able to get around and get around, like I said, efficiently and effectively. It's the way in which you know a network, a usable network of public transit feeds into other things that grow economies and as a result end up growing populations. Can you talk just a little more about those connections? Absolutely. Yeah, it's not just the transit in and of itself, but the transit as a center point to walkable, vibrant communities where the most of the things, whether you talk about the 15-minute neighborhoods uh, where almost all of your daily activities are within a 15-minute walk, bike, or transit ride um, from where you live to and then, and so it's 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 that vibrancy of of a of an urban area. Mm-hmm. Some of these surveys uh, that I was looking back at uh, that Realtors Association said, young people prefer to live in areas characterized by nearby shopping, restaurants, schools, and public transportation, as opposed to sprawl. Sometimes there's there's a perception, especially around uh, Southeast Michigan, that well, everyone wants to live in single-family homes in um, in suburban communities where, uh, and by definition, driving is essential to getting anywhere you want to go. The reality is at least a third, uh, if not more, uh, of the population wants to live in vibrant, walkable communities where a car is a choice, not a requirement, and yet uh, as of at least a couple of years ago, less than 2% of Michigan's uh, homes are actually in that type of place. So we have this huge gap. Why is it that places like uh, Ann Arbor and Ferndale and even downtown and midtown, uh, Birmingham, Royal Oak, these areas are booming because people really want uh, to, to live in them. And there's not enough of that uh, walkable transit-centered community that our region provides. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with uh, Megan Owens. She's the executive director of Transportation Riders United, a public transit advocacy organization here in the Detroit area. We're talking about the ways in which better public transit, an actual network of public transit, dare to dream, might really change our prospects for population growth, which is something that's on lots of people's minds right now here in Michigan. The Governor Whitmer spent much of the Mackinac Policy Conference this year, just a few weeks ago, talking about the the slippage that we're having we aren't losing population, but we aren't growing it at the pace that other states are, which has real effects on our economy and other things. If we did better by transit, especially here in southeast Michigan, which is the population center of the state, the largest population center, what would that look like? What would the prospects for keeping people, for attracting people look like. We would love to hear from you as well during the conversation. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Let's go to Ken in Ferndale. Ken, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, and uh, thanks for the chance to talk with you and me. Uh-huh. Um, 
I agree with one premise, and that is that uh, the need for public transit is is critical, and it improves the quality of life, and it improves economic prospects. Um, it, it, it makes life better for people who are dining out. It makes people like I mean, it just it makes life better, um, and and we need that in, in metropolitan Detroit uh, just badly. So I, I completely concur. But the the question of of growth being linked to population growth is the thing that I that I find problematic. We've already got too many people in this in this world right now, and what's what's really important is that we begin to find um, economic models that are not built on population growth hmm. that allow us to have growth through productivity and through and through uh, development of of technologies and other and other aspects of the economy uh, without relying on population growth. And the, the whole world needs these models. And if Michigan can be the pilot for that, uh, it will be a tremendous uh, benefit to the world as, at large. So, uh, that's and a, I'm wondering how you feel about yeah, that. Yeah, Ken, I think that's a really interesting idea. I'm not sure that it is absolutely, you know, exclusively – opposed to the idea of 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 population growth i mean i think what you're what you're talking about is sustainability really uh and and how we we think about that but megan i'll give you a chance to to answer ken as well i would certainly agree that we need to develop and grow differently uh sometimes i i look back at this the 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 governor's focus on on fix the damn roads um, what continues to be left out of that conversation is that Michigan as a whole and definitely Southeast Michigan, our population has not grown barely virtually in 40 years, but the amount of land that we're using has nearly doubled. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we have twice the number of roads and sewers and homes and businesses, well, not necessarily as many homes and businesses because they're so sprawled out. So one of the pieces that that is that is critical to this is the idea of uh, developing without sprawl. Uh, while I would agree with with the caller that at some point we need to get to, we need to stop population growth as a whole, it's not going to happen soon. And so how about we develop differently? How about we, not uh, build uh, McMansions on one acre lots uh, way out in the exurbs and assume that the transportation system and sewer system and school system and fire systems will grow to accommodate. How about we build in places that already have so much of that Mm -hmm. uh, capacity, already have that infrastructure? and, uh, And so we're able to grow much more efficiently and sustainably, I think that's a critical part of the solution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a great question, Ken. I'm really glad you called uh, and and asked. Uh, let's go next to Anton in Shelby Township. Anton, what's on your mind? Yes, yeah, so um, I am a young person myself, and I know that you were talking about how, the, how youth need to be attracted to Mich- Southeast Michigan mm-hmm. through public transport. Um, how exactly would how, how does governance work when it comes to university transportation, school transportation in and around that area? Uh, that's a great that's a great question, um, Anton and and Megan. We should also talk about 
governance more broadly, uh, why we have been unable in Southeast Michigan to get our act together and build a better transportation network. But uh, Anton, it sounds like, is having uh, a problem getting to and from school, I'm just guessing here, uh, or, or maybe had that experience. Uh, talk about how all this works and why we continue to fail. Well, there are definitely some real challenges. I mean, I will acknowledge if transit was easy, it would have been done. Um, but there there are solutions. There are, are absolutely ways that we can make these types of uh, investments and, and govern them effectively. Uh, in Ann Arbor, while there is the University of Michigan has its own uh, uh, transit system, they also just uh, contract with the Ann Arbor Transit Authority to provide free transit or pay they to pay for the transit trips of all students, staff, and employees uh, on all of the the public transportation systems. So making that type of of public transit available, that's something that more institutions and employers uh, and could really be doing to help support our system. But then in terms of governance, we did create uh, a regional transit authority by law uh, about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, but it requires every county to unanimously agree to put a measure on the ballot. And thus far, uh, or at least in the last few years, uh, Macomb County leadership have been unwilling to do that. So there's some real efforts underway. Can we amend that RTA legislation to say if two or three counties want to move forward, why can't Wayne, Washtenaw, and Oakland counties uh, who have pretty supportive tra- uh, leadership, transit supportive leadership and electorates, why can't those communities move forward? So we need to look at new ways to uh, to fund uh, and to build voter support for public transportation. But the reality is a lot of other places are figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your con- previous conversation about Governor Whitmer, there are a lot. There are a lot of things she's done wonderfully, but despite these decades of uh, of research and directives uh, for bold state investment in public transit, the governor's failed to provide really any serious transit support. Her budget uh, fails to increase transit spend, uh, transit funding, spending ten times more on roads than on all public transit combined. Her new newly appointed MDOT director has zero experience with public transit or multimodal. Uh, her transportation strategy seems focused exclus- exclusively on filling potholes and building EVs. Um, there, there's no recognition that as a part of uh, equitable climate solutions mm-hmm. and ac- access to uh, education and opportunities uh, and as uh, supporting not just young people, but our aging population as well, transit needs to be treated as a critical part of Michigan's uh, economic and uh, population solutions, not as a nice to have that somebody else's problem to figure out. That's that's the frustration is after for so long. Uh, it's been, gosh, well, sure, we need transit, but no one's really been willing to step forward and be the champion and fight through the challenges to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, uh, Megan Owens of Transportation Riders United. It's always really great to have these conversations with you. Thanks so much for joining us today on Detroit Today. Thank you. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we'll have more great programming for you. We're going to talk about Michigan's budget deal and what the biggest priorities are for the state legislature and the governor. This is 1019 WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.